Good evening, Barry, my good friend. It's pretty late where you are. And that's because you had a very important appointment with the television set this evening uh, for a game of footy. Indeed, Chad. Liverpool versus Man United, the top kind of two teams of the league at the moment. And uh, unfortunately, the game didn't quite live up to its expectations, <laughs> like I was telling you offline. Yep. It was one of those boring nil-nil draws. There was very few shots, very few exciting things happened. My dad had come all the way across from his side to come cool. and watch with me. And unfortunately, it just didn't wasn't up to scratch, Chad. <laughs> well, when you told me that, um, that it was boring, I replied to say, well, Barry, <laughs> what do you expect? It's soccer. Um, and you weren't very pleased with that, if I'm honest. And you actually, uh, very rightly so, pointed out the fact that I'm living in London uh, with a couple of Premier League clubs just down the road. On your doorstep, Chad. <laughs> so many South African football fans would die for the opportunity to be near a Chelsea or yeah. an Arsenal or a, a Fulham or something. And so that's really, really why I was pushing you a little bit on that. Um, but you've been to a game, so I can't yep. hold it against you. And... It's not for everybody, I suppose. Yeah, I've been to one game. I mean, obviously, at the moment, it's completely different. I mean, you were telling me that they're actually using FIFA sounds uh, to try and overlay it a bit, <laughs> because what would football be uh, today in the way that we know it without that backdrop of, uh, you know, of kind of festivity from the crowd? It's what the Premier League is known for, is the songs and the chanting and yep. all the shouting and screaming from the sidelines. And yeah, they pipe this FIFA uh, noise in, so it sounds sort of real. And they've got some dude with the soundboard <laughs> clicking when they score a goal or clicking when they miss a goal. Oh but God. for some reason, I think it I think it impacts the players because yep. the players don't seem to play as hard as they would if they had thousands and thousands of their fans screaming yeah, yeah. their name. So it's a little bit sad, especially for a big game like this. But what can you do in this pandemic world we live in? Yeah, hopefully... Uh, uh, one of these days we can get back into stadiums. Uh, that would be pretty cool. Barry, before we kick off this episode, I just want to quickly yes. uh, chat about last week's episode. And it was one of those mm. where when I was going through the actual edit, I realized all of the little nuggets of gold that Mitch had to bring. Um, and it was just one of those that I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, I guess it just reiterates the fact that uh, we do need to get people who we are passionate about, people who we love onto this podcast and really just uh, introduce them to our listener base as well. Without a doubt. I think I, I, it was a really good episode all around. And you've been a fan of Mitch's for a long time. And you kind of told me a bit about him, but he really came and over-delivered. Yep. So much value on that show. If you, if you skip that show because you're not a photographer or videographer, I really encourage you to go back and listen because yep. there's so much more than just photography and videography Definitely. in that interview. It's about creativity. It's about personal development. It's about trying to find a career that suits you. And all of that stuff is vintage across the pond. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. And like you say, hopefully it's the first of many. I yep. really want to yep. get more guests on the show it's one of the best parts about this podcasting medium is this ability to reach out to people that you admire and hear their their, their thoughts and their ideas on a much more longer format so if you have any ideas out there if you're listening right now and you've got this guest in the back of your mind that you'd love to hear an interview from please let us know we'd love to hear from you and hopefully get some of those going in the weeks to come yeah definitely and i was quite surprised as well when we got to the end of the podcast i mean i had thought we had you know taken up a lot of his time already i was at the stage where you know I just felt so bad and when we got to the end he was like <laughs> guys that was great and I'm I could have gone for another hour he's like we have to do a version two uh, which I was really surprised by so cool to hear Chad and it shows that at least we're doing something right yep. at least we didn't bore him out of his mind <laughs> and the conversation was really sparkling throughout and yep. I think when creatives and we obviously aspiring creatives sure. trying to make things in the same way that Mitch is doing there's some sort of kinship there and we, we felt that on the call yep. um, and so yeah it's really cool hopefully we'll get around to at some stage but uh, Mitch's work is awesome so please go check it out if you haven't already definitely well let's get this week started with our first segment <laughs> The week that was. Barry, quite the week that we've just gone through. Um, obviously, we've been chatting a little bit about the uh, US kind of drama. Everything that's been unfolding over there. And obviously, there's been lots to speak about of late. Uh, but we've seen this week that Trump has actually been impeached again. I believe the first <laughs> president in US history to be impeached twice and i guess in itself barry you know it, it feels like this big event but truly speaking it doesn't really mean all that much practically at the moment because there still is the senate that it needs to to get through before we can actually get any uh, lasting effects from it am i right 
Yeah, definitely. And it's also a bit weird because he's only got like two or three days left, yeah. right? So Biden's due to be inaugurated any day now. Probably by the time this podcast is out, there's a chance that Biden's already the president of the United States. So it's very much a, a formality based on the kind of the, the things we saw from that violent episode at the Capitol. Um, the only thing it does matter for is allowing Trump to run again. Right. So if the Senate does pass that impeachment, then it means that Trump can never run again. Yeah. And he's been talking about maybe thinking of running in, in 2024 <laughs> or something like that. So who knows what could happen. Um, so yeah, it's a bit of an anticlimax in a way. I think it's a rather dubious record to have, of course. Yeah. But I don't know about you, Chad, but I'm tired of Trump. Yeah. I really am tired of him. <laughs> I'm tired of his stories. I'm tired of the chaos. I'm tired of the, the news coverage. And so... For me, I don't think I'm going to follow this that closely going forward. Whatever the Senate does, they're going to do. We have to look forward and see if Biden kind of turn this very polarized America into, into a new direction. Because at the moment, America is an absolute mess. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's easy for us now to be over Trump because at least he's out. Um, and what a luxury for us to have to say that we're over him and we don't <laughs> want to talk about him anymore. Um, because, you know, hopefully this turmoil and the kind of havoc that he's been wreaking for his term the last four years uh, is is the last we hear of it. Um, I mean, I'm thinking very optimistically, uh, but that would be a good <laughs> thing indeed. So yeah, that's uh, that's basically all of that and everything I think we have to uh, mention on that, on that story. Um, I wanted to talk for, I think, the very first time really in this segment about our weeks like what how was our weeks um barry do you want to kick us off sure thing it doesn't exactly make the national news but it's very important to us chad so let's let's run through it i think the key part of my week has been my swimming chad yep. so for those who don't know i have been getting in the pool almost every day over the last two or so weeks today was my 20th session in the pool which i'm very proud wow. of and uh, for someone who never really swam at school I, I was very scared of the water i was one of those monkey crawling along the wall the whole time i've been so proud of myself for being able to get in day after day after day and make amazing progress that I didn't think I could make. So for example, I swam over 50 lengths today and felt really good about it. So it's been getting me fitter and stronger. I can feel a bit stronger. Mm. Um, I don't do much kicking, so it's all upper body, <laughs> unfortunately. But for the moment, it's gone really well. And so other than the tan, which has been interesting to see as well, it's been a really cool experience, Chad. Well, I mean, the tan is a good thing, right? I, I don't think this is something to <laughs> complain about. Uh, but in terms of the upper body strength, uh, very soon, I guess Barry's going to become the new Johnny Bravo that we're all uh, familiar oh, yeah. with, uh, oh, skipping yeah. leg day every day. Uh, but no, that's really admirable, man. I'm really uh, quite proud of you, actually, to to get on and get in the pool. And also quite, uh, I'm, I'm jealous because gyms are still closed this side. We can't get into swimming pools. And I do miss it. It's been ages since I, you know, actually submerge myself into that chlorine filled water with uh, <laughs> you know some lovely goggles and uh, and had a good time really um, but this week was really good for me exercise wise too if I'm honest uh, and it's really the first yeah. in a long time we have actually had a solid week kind of throughout the board so I started out with a, a run my fiance kind of got me out of the bed at who knows what time in the morning uh, on a weekday uh, to go for a little run around around the block and and that was really good a good start to the week uh, i told you about the app center which uh, i'm busy yes. working through chris hemsworth's app uh, i did a workout this week as well i got out my turbo trainer which is i think we've spoken a bit briefly on the podcast before but uh, just to reiterate again it's essentially a little device that you can clip your bicycle onto and uh, cycle through these virtual worlds and do all sorts of workouts and stuff from the comfort and safety of your own home uh, which I thoroughly enjoyed <laughs> I did like an hour workout and the great thing about that as well uh, is I can actually take my nice monitor and watch some YouTube videos or do something like that while I'm busy training, which is really quite cool. Um, it obviously takes a little while to set up, but it's worth it. I, I just need to do it more often. Um, and then finally yeah. today, uh, I did a 20-kilometer run, which I haven't done in ages. Uh, I wanted to see what if I legend. could still do it. Oh, thanks, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to see if I could still do it. It's been so long uh, since I actually started doing some distance. And of course, we spoke about the goals and I technically have a half Ironman coming up in April. I don't know whether it's going to actually happen <laughs> or not. Um, is travel going to be back to normal in April? Who knows? Um, but yeah. may as well start training in case, right? Uh, and then, you know, finally, on the leisure side it was a good week as well i had uh, i finished up i finished a book barry i actually
just finished a book, uh, which is which is good news. <laughs> Come uh, on, Chad, you <laughs> legend! I love it. I love it. And something we're going to talk about today. Um, great, great, great book. So look forward to hearing about that later on in the episode. And then, of course, uh, watch some series and stuff as well, which we're going to talk about too. So a good week, all in all. Um, really, really had a good one. Yeah. That sounds so cool, Chad. When, when I saw your Strava notification and I saw that 20Ks, I was like, yo, Chaddy, he's getting back to it. He's getting back to it. was really cool to see. Uh, on my side, also the work this week was yep. quite crazy, to be honest. Okay. I've been trying to build this business and been working my butt off every single day. So I haven't written this many words, Chad, in my whole life. It feels like <laughs> I'm just spilling words out onto the page. It's always interesting yep. to see. Um, and then also in the, on the leisure side, I happen to have a, quite a few long phone calls this week with friends, which cool. was really, really cool. Nice. Um, even though I don't, I don't like phone calls normally. It's not really my thing, but I've been trying to force myself to do more mm, of it because yeah. it's good for social connection yeah. and keeping up with friends and whatnot. And so I really enjoy those long phone calls. So I think it's been a good week for both of us, which is a really, really good thing to see, even in the midst of lockdowns and the pandemic and all the chaos. Trying to stay fit, trying to stay healthy, yeah. trying to stay sane. And I hope if you're listening out there that you also had a good week um, and that things are going okay for you in this new year. Yeah. Well, I mean, like you said, and we've spoken about in previous episodes, Barry, uh, the fitness part of it and just the exercise is it's, it just creates a snowball uh, into all of the other areas so of your key. life. And so for us to now yeah. look back at this week that happened uh, with a positive light. I mean, I also was really busy work wise this, this past week, too. But because of the fact that I was able to get out and breathing and get that blood flowing, uh, my whole perspective to everything else in the week is all shared in a positive light. Uh, and again, it's like something we've discussed before. I wish I could remember the feeling of after exercise yep. before I exercised, yep. right? Because you're lying in bed, you don't really want to do it. It's, it sucks that first kind of five, 10 minutes. But once you get home and you've sweated it mm. out and you've got those blood, got that blood pumping and you've moved your body, it feels amazing. And your whole rest of the day is set up amazingly well. So I wish I could just transport that feeling, put it in like a little bottle and then remind myself when I'm <laughs> lying in bed not wanting to get out that I'm going to feel great afterwards. It really is such a key key domino effect for the rest of your day yeah that's the hardest part is getting out the door the hardest part in exercise is getting out the door uh, especially for me at the moment when it's cold outside and it's dark <laughs> and you know all that stuff but but you're right once you're out there and on your workout it's so rewarding uh, so yeah we just need to do it a whole lot more okay so that's our past <laughs> weeks should we chat about some stuff we found interesting let's do it chad there's lots to cover here stuff i found interesting so one of the first things to chat about this past week is me binge watching another series. Now, I know you listen <laughs> to our podcast and it might sound like a frequent occurrence uh, because we've spoken about The Crown and, I don't know, other little bits and pieces. But in all honesty, in all truth, I very, very infrequently actually send, spend a whole lot of my time in front of the TV binge watching series. Um, I will more often than not go and sit and kind of join my fiance while she's watching one of hers. Um, but similar to Mitch, I have always had this uh, kind of weird phenomenon where I prefer being in front of a computer, creating stuff, fiddling around, like just fiddling around making things. Exactly. I resonated with what he said last week fully. Uh, but this week, there was a little bit of an exception because I found a series on Apple TV Plus, which I luckily still have for free from when I bought my iPad however long ago at the beginning of our first <laughs> lockdown. So that should be coming to Get an end. Get your money's worth. Yeah. Get your money's worth. Huh? <laughs> yeah. So that should be coming to an end actually in a couple of months. Uh, but while I'm there, while I'm getting my money's worth, as you say, Barry, came across this one called Little Voice. And We've spoken about the music documentaries and how much we love music and all of that kind of stuff. And there's something about combining film and music uh, that I just resonates with me because those are both, both my favorite worlds. So Little Voice <laughs> is essentially about this girl in New York City with uh, quite, quite a tricky life. So she's got like an autistic brother. Uh, her dad is an alcoholic. Uh, and of course, you know, they don't have a lot of money. So they've, they've really kind of been living paycheck to paycheck and all that kind of stuff. But she's got this deep passion for music um, and specifically kind of songwriting and, and getting her own kind of thoughts and her own like authentic uh, experience of the world out onto a page. And then, of course, performing. But 
performing is something that's still fairly new to her and it's still a skill that she hasn't mastered and as we all know we well as us performers Barry you and I would, would have known uh, the first time you're on a stage it's it's quite something I mean do you remember the first time being on a stage like how, how did it affect you actually uh, bolting out your voice in front of a whole bunch of people I do, Chad. And and the first time, I mean, I was on stage as like a nativity person back when I was like very, very young. But, but when it started to matter from a social perspective, I remember I was singing a song called Danny California by yes. the Red Hot Chili Peppers yes. in like an interhouse music band. And we thought we were the coolest rock band in the world. We had practiced our butt off. Mm-hmm. And then we got up on stage and all of a sudden, instead of being in a small music room, we're in this ginormous school hall. And I couldn't hear myself. And all of a sudden, I was singing very (laughs) off-key. And I watched the video back, and I cringed completely. Because it is so different, Chad, you'll know. Singing in yep. front of somebody versus just singing alone at home in the shower or in your, in your house. Uh, when there's people there, when there's an audience, when there's an atmosphere, all of a sudden your brain starts doing weird and wonky things. And that's my, my key memory of that moment. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And when you're performing on a school stage, so normally like within actual music venues, uh, you'll have monitors that literally are speakers yes. that point at you so that you can hear yourself but you're completely right when you're on a school stage uh there's kind of just there's not <laughs> enough money for monitors they you know it's kind of the bare minimum and so the only speakers that that are there are are the ones that are actually facing the crowd and so you basically listen to the reflections of the speakers and you're completely right i actually performed the exact same song uh i had a band no believe it or not i had a band it was called the Hot House peaches uh and that was also in, in school <laughs> and very you, I love it. I love it. You love when I have a vocal crack. Well, I've got a clip of that particular song and a wonderful vocal crack. Uh, so oh, I think we've both got me. some pretty horror stories with that particular song. Uh, but there's that redeeming <laughs> solo at the end that will recover any bad vocals. Definitely. It, it's, it's one of those songs that even if you butcher it, it's still a lot of fun. Yep. People still enjoyed it. But for me, I felt like an absolute idiot because I just didn't do the song justice, yep. unfortunately. Uh, and it's one of those things, it really sticks with you for the next few days. Yeah. You walk around thinking, <laughs> does everyone think I'm a, does, am I really that bad? Like what happened to me yep. up there? I thought I was, I thought I was going to be okay. Um, and that is, that is the thing about music. It's so personal. Like when you don't do well, it doesn't feel like it's authentic. It kind of hits you in the, in the chest, at least for me. Yeah, and the truth is that probably the majority of those people didn't even pick up on it. The majority of those people probably thought it was <laughs> it was all fine and dandy. And that actually comes through in a point we're going to chat later about, about later. So uh, let's definitely hang on to that. Uh, but talking about the series, so like I said, uh, this girl yeah. in New York City, she's performing and, and kind of her musical journey. Um, basically, we, we, there's a whole bunch of different kind of storylines and we've got this love life, you know, we are, we're with romantics, Barry, so we enjoy it when there's a bit of a love plot on the scene as well. Of course. Of kind course. of managing life's challenges and, and becoming really quite a successful uh, artist in her own right uh, and, and still at that budding stage. Um, but essentially why I wanted to bring this up is because it was created by a, a musician who you and I are both very kind of passionate about a uh, lady by the name of Sarah Borelli's or Sarah Borellis. I don't know the correct word to say the way to say it. You'll be able to correct me on that. But yeah, she created waitress, uh, the musical, which I absolutely loved. And I think uh, for another time we can, we can chat about that too. Um, and of course she Definitely. was a pop artist. Let's not forget that, that too. Um, so I love this. I love this series. If you've got Apple TV Plus, I'd recommend watching it. But the interesting thing is that the reviews I've read online have been really pretty poor, um, and it just it just shows you how we all like completely different things. Um, I resonated quite a lot with this, and I loved the score and I loved the kind of original music of Sarah Bareilles that came through. Um, and so I, for that reason, would recommend watching it. But as always, there's always a critic. Yeah, I, I don't know why she's so underrated, in my opinion. I don't know why like she doesn't get the acclaim that I think she deserves. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people think of her stuff as quite one-dimensional. In in a certain way, you can look at a lot of her music, and it, it, it does sound the same in yeah. some instances. But her storytelling is second to none. The, the, the lyrical genius and the storytelling is absolutely amazing. Waitress, that musical you referenced, has got so much depth in those characters, even though it's kind of a light, hard, feel-good musical. There's so much depth behind that story. 
And the same with a lot of her other music. Um, one of my favorite songs uh, is a song called Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, which I think is actually a cover. But the way she does it just completely changes the meaning mm. of that song. And that's why I love what she does. And so I wish she got more acclaim. I haven't seen this series in particular, but it's similar to a lot of her other music. I think that there are a lot of critics of her, and I don't quite get it. For yeah. me, her stuff really resonates, and I really love what she makes. And so, yeah, I, I really want to go and see this, Chad. You really sold me <laughs> on this. I need to go and find a way to get my hands on an Apple TV subscription so that I can go and watch this series. Yeah, I agree. And another bit that you'll love about it too, Barry, is the, the theater element of it as well. So the autistic brother is a fanatic about theater. So there's all of these theatrical references. Uh, he actually covers uh, one of the Hamilton songs with his uh, flatmates as well. Uh, the acting is, oh, for me, just spot on. And, and, you know, it's just so good. So I enjoyed it. I recommend it. Uh, but let us know what you think if you go and check it out uh, in the end. Um, what did you find interesting this week, Barry? Uh, because you, you know, <laughs> use your downtime in some of the best ways possible. Chad, it's so different to the previous story, so it's going to be a strange <laughs> segue. But I want to talk about monkeys, Chad. Oh, I want to talk about gosh. monkeys in a, in a very, very. I think. The image in my head of the story is just hilarious and I just had to share it. So there's this amazing phenomenon happening in Bali at the moment. So, well, I think not at the moment, I think for a long time now. Bali is one of those really cheap uh, tourist destinations, right? Yep. And a lot of students love going there to go and party. And it's one of those places where it's full of tourists. Like it basically runs on tourism. And uh, there's lots of monkeys there because it kind of is in a jungle. It's in mm. one of those kind of conditions. Um, and so there's a very interesting phenomenon that started happening around a lot of these tourist hotspots it's that these monkeys have realized something they've realized that they can actually earn themselves some food through some good old-fashioned ransom chat <laughs> through some good old-fashioned <laughs> ransoming people's belongings so what these monkeys have figured out is that if they go and steal a, a valuable item so a phone or a wallet or a handbag or something from these unsuspecting tourists they can then hold that thing ransom until they get given food what? once they get given food they just return the item it's such a fascinating kind of human thing they've mm. figured out that these humans value these items that to a monkey mean nothing but they can see the reaction of those humans and they've realized this and so researchers have gone and tried to figure out what is going on here and what they figured out chad is that these monkeys are so smart they understand the difference between high value items and low value items so they've watched enough of these um these thieving activities to realize that a phone means a lot more than a hot dog for example or because it's food but like a yeah. phone compared to like a shoe or whatever the story is and so i just think it's fascinating how smart these creatures are and how they're able to turn humanity on itself in order to win them some food that is absolutely <laughs> fascinating you're completely right i mean monkeys are so intelligent we we know this they can learn uh, the most amazing little tricks and stuff uh, but to see them kind of just naturally come about this themselves uh, i kind of wonder if they they got together as a group and discussed strategies <laughs> uh, as to how they can get some more food um it's fascinating i'd, I'd love to i'd love to check it out and I, you made a note here to say that the longest ransom negotiation recorded was 25 minutes uh and the fact that it's a negotiation <laughs> as well uh i mean it must be fascinating to watch chad there has to be a, a movie in here somewhere surely <laughs> the story is too good can you imagine a 25 minute negotiation between a monkey and a human where the human is trying to give the monkey food but the monkey's like that's not enough that's not enough i want more food before i give you your phone back i'm gonna keep it myself and until i see the food that i want to see you're not getting your phone back oh, I love this. Um, so yeah i don't i don't know how that 25 minute negotiation panned out but in my head chad i can see the screenplay already i love it and uh, do you know what it reminds me of as well is you you were telling me about the Kruger National Park a little while back because you actually went there for a long weekend, I think. I used to go every Indeed. single year. I think for like five or six years in a row, I would go December time every single year. And as you'll know, you've got these yeah. little rest camps. Uh, so not the actual camps that you stay in, but you've got these other little camps along the way which you can sit down and there's a little shop there and uh, you know you, there's tables and chairs and all that kind of stuff. And because it's the Kruger National Park, there's monkeys everywhere. And I, I <laughs> clearly remember this where I kind of, I, I had my, my smartphone at the time, uh, which obviously was a long time ago, but it could take photos. And I started walking up to this monkey to take a, to take a photo of him, but I didn't have the zoom. We didn't have that uh, Apple two times telephoto <laughs> zoom option. Uh, so I went, I went a little bit close and the guy actually swung for it. He actually swung for my phone. 
Uh, and at that point, I was completely terrified. There was no negotiations going to happen there. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're cute from far, Chad. Yep. When you get yep. a bit closer and they are within within striking range, it's a whole different ballgame. <laughs> yeah, completely correct. Um, so, yeah, that's a fascinating story. Uh, I mean, I'm, I just need to get back into the Kruger National Park again. But that's something else. That's completely something else. So shall we move on, Barry? <laughs> Let's look ahead. Looking ahead. My favorite topic, Chad. It's here again, <laughs> artificial intelligence yes. back in across the pond, and I could not be it's more been a excited. While. And it has been a while, and I've been holding myself back because sometimes I feel like I push it too much, <laughs> and I want to like kind of, I don't want to throw you off. I don't want to put you off of this amazing technology. So we are back at it again today with a new project from OpenAI. OpenAI is one of the biggest companies in the world that are looking at this sort of thing. I don't know if you remember, we chatted about their image network a long time ago yep. in the early episodes of the podcast. And they've got a brand new project here that I think is fascinating. What they do basically is they've got a neural network model that basically will ingest everything in the internet, every piece of information ever made. Wow. And then what you can do as an individual is type out a, a, a line of text, so a sentence, and it will convert that text into an original image. So huh. it doesn't go and search for the image and then kind of bring it to you. It creates an original image. So one of the best examples that I saw is someone typed in avocado chair <laughs> and it delivered this chair that is no shaped ways. and colored and looks like an avocado. And it looks like something that could have been designed by a human. It really is fascinating. So mm. it's yet another example of how AI can do the sorts of creative work, if you want to call it creative, um, that we didn't quite think was possible, say, a decade ago. And all of a sudden, it's becoming possible. Yeah. So it's opened up, again, the same discussion as to, number one, what is creativity? Number two, is are humans the only people, who, only things that could be creative? And then number three, if those two aren't the case, is this true AI creativity? And it, I think it's fascinating. Yeah, that is completely fascinating. I wonder whether we're going to see some amazing inventions coming out of this because people were creative in the words that they used to search this with. I mean, a picture is a thousand yes. words, or at least as good as a thousand words or something like that barry what is the limit on the number of words you can actually enter into here uh, are we going to get our thousands words worth of of image <laughs> chad i think there's no theoretical limit it's just a matter of how long you want to wait right <laughs> these models are ginormous yeah. and even though they're running on the world's best supercomputers i'm sure if you put a thousand words <laughs> in you you'd have to sit and wait a while yeah. for that thing to generate anything so it's not it's not quite there yet there's still a lot of examples obviously you in the in the media and the press you only see the examples that works you don't see the ones yep, that didn't yep. quite work out as well yep. so we have to temper our expectations but it really could be a really cool tool for like you say inventing new things and brainstorming new ideas and I, i'm imagining people who write for a living like someone like myself for example if you're writing a fictional thing or you're trying to come up with something new it's a great way to sit for half an hour and like type a bunch of random things and see if it sparks any new ideas in your mind yep. that perhaps weren't there before. So I think as a creativity tool and as a brainstorming tool, hopefully it becomes sort of an augmentation on humanity. So human plus this tool could come up with some really cool stuff down the line. Yep. And so I'm excited to watch the, the progression. If you want to go look it up, it's called DALL-E, D-A-L-L-E. Um, so go and check it out. It's really cool project. Um, and yeah, it's it's another step forward for AI. Once again, OpenAI keeps pushing the boundaries here. Really cool. I mean, with that name, I kind of feel like they just adapted Disney's Wally, or however it's said. <laughs> I don't think I've actually That's watched exactly it. That's exactly what they did. <laughs> but, um, That's exactly what they did. <laughs> yeah, so it sounds like a really cool tool. We've spoken about so many uh, that can actually create new things. The, the one that you mentioned, uh, creating a completely new song, uh, you know, in yes. the in the style of a particular artist or whatever the case is, it's just a crazy thought as to the direction we're going. Uh, and I guess that's why we call it Look Ahead. Uh, so the other thing we want to talk about in Look Ahead this week is another acquisition. And we've spoken about these giants uh, and they just keep getting bigger and bigger. And obviously all of the different concerns that comes with that. But for all of those uh, kind of step-tracking uh, fit heads out there, uh, Fitbit, uh, <laughs> the yeah, basically, the, the, I would say one of the first devices that could actually track your steps, um, track your sleep, it, it tracks all sorts of stuff, um, has now been acquired by Google. 
And the interesting piece that I found here, Barry, which I think you'll find quite interesting, is that Google's actually announced this acquisition. Uh, but the U.S. government says there's still an investigation undergoing. Uh, they're worried, you know, they're wondering whether they're going to actually take any action uh, on this, and it's to do with competition. So in South Africa, we would have a competition commission that it would need to go through before you could announce it. Uh, whereas it seems like in the U.S., it might work a slightly different way. Chad, it's a weird time for this kind of acquisition. Like you mm. say, there couldn't be worse timing based on the, the social discussions around are these tech companies too big? Are they too powerful? Do they have too much influence for Google to be making this sort of acquisition? Like, and like you say, it's a ginormous company. Fitbit is a, is a global leader yeah. in the space in a lot of respects. And so, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of interesting uh, debates around this one. It's weird to see some media outlets reporting it as a done deal, some reporting it as the US government still got to look into it yeah. or whatever the story is. So I'm not quite sure exactly where the legals are when it comes to this, but there's enough talk about it that makes it look like it's actually gone through and yep. it's actually been acquired. And so the question, of course, is what are they going to do with it? That's always the next yep. question, is that there's always a reason for these sorts of acquisitions. You don't go and spend $2 billion without some sort of reason and how you're mm. going to turn that into billions and billions of more dollars and on a revenue perspective. So how are they going to do this? The worry from a lot of people is that they're going to do it through data. Of yep. course, that same old discussion that always comes back, Chad, is this personal data. And this time it's not about your name or your political status. It's about what's happening in your body. How well are you sleeping? How, how many steps are you taking? How healthy are you? All of that data that potentially could be used to help retarget advertising. Perhaps you don't want to be sending a Chris Hemsworth advert to someone who's never turned on their Fitbit, right? <laughs> Maybe you want to be looking at a different target demographic based on the kind of the activity they've shown in the, in the past. But again, it's this question is, is that too far? Is that overreaching its boundaries? Is that too much yep. kind of control by Google? If they know absolutely everything about you, it's, it starts to feel like a Black Mirror episode. 100%. And I don't know why they can't just acquire this giant. I mean, Fitbit is a pretty big company in itself. I mean, like you say, $2.1 billion, a lot of money. I don't know why they can't just acquire it and keep it within their stable and let it grow separately. But as we know, when it comes to these types of acquisitions, it's the synergies that uh, really drive the value. And the synergies uh, in this kind of scenario, as you said, are an extra layer of our data. Uh, and Google, you know, one of the biggest advertisers in the world, having access to that, uh, it's it really does pose some very interesting questions. And I've seen some statements from a lot of users who have already kind of maybe got one or two steps ahead of themselves before the acquisition, obviously <laughs> while it was still happening in the background, uh, actually sent communications to Fitbit to say they want to terminate their account. They do not want Google to have access to any of this data. Um, but then they receive an email after this acquisition to their personal email address, and it seems as though that never happened. So Google, I think, has claimed that it will maintain what they call a technical separation between the Google user data <laughs> and the Fitbit user data and ensure that users have an effective choice to deny Google's other services having access to their health and wellness data. So there's a difference between technical separation, Barry, and having a effective choice. It almost feels like the default is going to be that, yes, there's going to be this, this data kind of going across between services. And maybe if you want, you can somehow find your way into the settings and somehow turn it off. That's how I read it. Uh, am I being a little bit too skeptical on this? I think you're spot on, Chad. I think that this points to another example of them hiding it in the privacy policy yep. that no one's going to read or hiding it in the settings where no one's going to go and look at it. Unfortunately, there's such a small portion of the world that actually is on top of these sorts of issues. The vast majority of users aren't even aware of this stuff. And so they're going to sign whatever you put in front of them. They're going to click whatever you're going to put in front of them. And so Google knows this. And so, yes, they can have the, the legal high ground to say they had a choice. They had a choice to do whatever they wanted. But is it a real choice if people aren't informed about it or if it's difficult to do? I'm going through an example right now which kind of talks to this point, Chad, is I'm trying to cancel my gym membership okay. because I'm moving places. And it's so much harder to cancel a gym yep. membership than it is to open yep. one, of course. And you have to go through so many hoops. Yep. And it's an example of the path of least resistance is often what people follow. And so if they make it difficult to change or they make it difficult to find that setting, then you can really make a strong argument to say that isn't really a choice. It's almost like you're forcing this this down their throats because they don't know any better or they just aren't aren't like 
motivated enough to go and figure it out. Yeah, you're right. And uh, that gym membership is is such a headache, uh, especially with all of the cancellation fees and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's the it's the joining fees as well. So when you do eventually decide, okay, cool, oh, yeah. I'm going to join the gym as well again, uh, there's all these extra fees too. So like you say, Path of Least Resistance is something that they prey on. And with all of the headache and hassle you end up saying okay it's fine i'll just keep the membership and uh, not go as often uh, but it's it's really is a, a bit of a hack and certainly here in london you've got these uh, kind of memberships that allow you to enter these flexible kind of arrangements in a way that you actually don't even have a subscription with the gym directly uh, it's this kind of third party that then you can get these passes to go to whichever gym you'd like at a particular point in time. And I think that is wonderful. And I, I think South Africa needs to get there as well. And what you're talking about, Barry, also makes me think about the, the way that subscriptions work. And I actually, uh, I told you about the app that I was going to be starting to use, which is Simply Piano. Anyone who's ever kind of learned any piano cover on YouTube ever in the history of the world has seen a Simply Piano advert uh, and it's, it's pretty annoying. Um, but in any case, I, I decided, cool, let me let me check it out because uh, I think it is a cool tool to learn how to read music, certainly. Um, and I actually did enjoy it. But what I didn't realize is when I signed up for the trial, I had selected the one-year option. And basically, I didn't cancel the trial in time. And I got this uh, this ping from my credit card saying, hey, you're committed now. For one year, and it's not cheap, Barry. <laughs> no, it's, those those experiences are the worst. And like you say, it's one of those things where, in the <sighs> moment, you're not thinking about that. Yep. And unfortunately, the way they set it up is that they they try to hide that from you. And unfortunately, that's the way it goes. I I see with my parents, like. I'm lucky enough to be tech savvy to understand a lot of these things. And so I, I know what to look out for. Yep. But if you're not up to scratch with these sort of things, you don't understand how the subscription models work or how these app stores work or how any of these settings work. You've got no chance of like pointing out the, the bits and pieces where they're hiding things from you. So I, it, it's a really sad state of affairs for a lot of these companies. They prey on human psychology. They prey on this 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 bias towards that path of least resistance. Yep. And we need advocates speaking out against this and educating people about what needs to be done because if you don't take it on yourself and you don't actually like focus on these things yourself no one's going to help you definitely well we certainly are going to be following this uh, fitbit google merger and and seeing how it unfolds i know we we spoke about garmin and their servers being down and i know a lot of people uh, don't actually realize how important these activity trackers have become to them uh, to monitor their yeah. fitness over time so you know having this extra layer of data uh, it's it's very kind of eerie for me, and it, it seems like a, a bit of a turning point, if I'm completely honest. Um, so let's certainly follow that. Barry, shall we talk a bit about our personal journeys and well-being? Let's do it. Develop and grow. Barry, we are at one of our favorite segments of the podcast, which is develop and grow. And this week, I had received a notification from YouTube, which I haven't disabled just yet, because I like to know when people comment on my videos and subscribe to my channel. <laughs> uh, but basically, this notification was somebody who I follow, a guy by the name of Ali Abdal. And uh, he was having a live stream at, at the moment. It was happening. Uh, and I clicked on it. I was like, why not? Let me tune into this thing. And after watching the little preamble at the beginning of it, I was like, actually, I think, Barry, you can get quite a bit of value from this too. Uh, and luckily, you had not turned off your WhatsApp notifications, which I know is something that you are very, very uh, on. And you actually received it in time to tune in with me. The timing was superb, Chad. I just sat down on the couch. I had some food in front of me. I was looking. I had a, I had a long day behind me, so I was looking forward to some chill time. Yeah. And when Chad tells you that there's something that you need to watch, you get on that straight away. And so I listened to my, my good buddy over there, and I got onto the live stream. And I found it really fascinating, Chad. It's all about public speaking, yeah. all about trying to speak better. And it's even influenced this exact mm -hmm. podcast right now, Chad, because we are both trying to speak a bit slower. <laughs> it's the actual reason we started a podcast. It's certainly the reason, one of the reasons, the key reasons that I actually sent you a brief in the first place is that we know we can speak well with friends and people who we're comfortable with. But as soon as you're in a different situation, all of a sudden the words just don't come. Like all of a sudden there is this block that doesn't let you open the drawers of your vocabulary and dig deep for 
things that are there, like the words are actually there. And so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast. And I think it has helped a little bit. But the amount of editing that I've been doing over the last year <laughs> on my own voice and the mistakes that I've made um, certainly just shows how much of a journey I still have to go. And that's one of the reasons why I found this uh, live stream fascinating. And it's basically something called ultra speaking. So there are two guys, one guy by the name of Michael Gendler, another guy by the name of Tristan de Montebello. And they essentially have gone this project, I think it was a six month project where as a team, they decided they were going to enter this like national public speaking uh, competition. I don't know the exact name of it. Uh, you can certainly look it up. Uh, but as a team, they managed to get one of the guys to the finals, like actually to the final. I think there was 10 people left in it. Somebody who had never done public speaking ever before in his life uh, to now go through something you've spoken to us about before, Barry, the Toastmasters process, and to groom him really into this exceptional speaker, to be on the stage with uh, the, the other finalists who obviously, the, you know, the bar is so high. So to to listen to some of the things that they have taken into account and how you can become a better speaker, uh, I found it fascinating. The live stream, what I thought was really cool as well, is that they had turned uh, Ali into almost a bit of a test subject. And we kind of watched him <laughs> do all of these little experiments and 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 watched him improve in, you know, not so much time. So I think this is a fascinating uh, developmental area. I think it's something that's key for all of us. And like you say, Barry, our key takeaway from that little live stream has already made my <laughs> editing hours in the week ahead so much better. For me, just being able to slow down, I've made so many less errors this last 50 minutes. It's one of those skills that is so crucial across all of life. Whether you think you're a public speaker or not, whether you think you actually are need this sort of yeah. training or not, all of us, every single day of our lives, are trying to communicate effectively and efficiently with other people. Yeah. And so the better you can get at that speaking, the better your life is going to be. But unfortunately, so many people think that they are stuck at the level that they're at. Yeah. They think, cool, I'm never going to be a public speaker. I mumble. I've got some sort of problem. I'm, I'm scared. I'm, I I'm don't have the vocabulary. Whatever it is. And we think we can never improve. And what a story like these guys shows mm. is that with enough practice and with enough efforts, you really can get to a very high level at a, in a very short space of time. It's one of those things where it just takes practice. Yeah. And that's what this podcast is for us, mm. is practice every single week, trying to take things we're passionate about and articulate ourselves in a way that connects with somebody. And often that takes you, like you say, to slow down mm. and try and focus more on clarity and not get so caught up in the energy and the enthusiasm and the almost the fear that someone's going to yeah. interrupt me or, or I'm not going to get my point yeah. out. And a lot of these bits and pieces really come out in, in spades when you go through a Toastmasters or you go through an ultra speaking, for example. Because when you start to turn the mirror on yourself and realize the way that you speak, like you say, Chad, this editing process is a real <laughs> mirror because you you yeah. don't get to hide from yeah. it. You don't get to see what you think you're saying. Definitely. You get to see the actual objective nature of it. So it is such an important piece, and I'm so glad we watched it because, like you say, it's impacted the way we try to speak right yeah. now. I don't know how well we're doing, <laughs> but we're trying our best. And I think for everyone out there, a little bit of effort into getting better at public speaking or speaking in general is going to make your life much, much better. Yeah, I completely agree. It's it's a paramount skill and one that this digital age of sending instant messages throughout the day and now with digital working as well, it's, it's you know, the kind of threshold for picking up the phone and, and chatting to someone who might be in the middle of another task. It's far easier just to send a Slack message and say, hey, when you get a moment, let me know. Um, and you might actually even yeah. end up dealing with the whole thing in Slack alone. And yes, texting and messaging is incredibly effective as well. But the speaking part of it is is so human and it, it's, it is what makes us us. And I pulled yeah. a whole lot of really great little things from this as well. So kind of the confidence with which you end a sentence or end a discussion or topic. <laughs> uh, landing the plane is, is the kind of analogy that they used. And I found it wonderful. You could go on in a complete rant, but as long as you land the plane, don't, you know, don't go and crash the plane and somehow, you know, have wrecked everything else that you, you've set up. It's a matter of softly and eloquently kind of calming down 
and land the plane. Ultimately, you know, come to a close, believe in what it is that you've just said. I think it's a fascinating, great little idea that certainly will improve my speaking. That slowing down bit, I think, is really important. As we know, Barry, I just can't think as quickly as you. So you can speak <laughs> at a crazy speed. Uh, I just can't. So when when we're in this flow and when uh, ultimately we have this tempo going based on our, our current speech mm. patterns and when you're on a rant and I need to pick it up, I find myself making errors <laughs> because I can't think of the word because it's still it's still kind of mulling over. And the truth is, and the truth that they get to within this live stream, and I, they've got a book as well, it's called uh, Ultra Speaking as well, and uh, a course and all sorts of stuff, is that ultimately we need to set ourselves up to be in a flow of talking. You've got the words, they are there. You need to not be thinking about what you're saying. Just say them, like just say them. And for me, I think one of the hurdles that happens a lot of the times, even if it's in a kind of social setting, is I'll be looking at the person's face and looking at every single bit of reaction as I'm busy saying what I'm saying. And what I'm doing is I'm judging my words. They're under this fine little microscope yeah. uh, such that I, I have a good story but I, I can't land the plane because their reaction so far is, is not kind of meeting my, you know, what I'm expecting of them. Uh, and, and that's a problem. So it's about not judging your words, kind of let yourself speak, get the concepts out, but land the plane uh, and, and find your flow in, in talking. That for me is where it really stands out is in my social life. Mm. When I'm at a party, at a dinner table, and I, I want to be able to control the room, yep. I've always wanted to be one of those people. There's certain conversationalists that just have this incredible ability to enrapture everybody that they're talking Definitely. to. Everyone will know one of these people. And they tell a story and everyone's on the edge of their seat. Yep. There's absolute silence. No one's eating. It's, it's all just completely raptured by someone speaking. And I've never been able to do that. And I think, like you say, Chad, it's because I'm looking at these reactions and the moment I see one sign of the attention yeah. kind of going somewhere yeah. else, I start to speed up because yeah. I worry that I'm not going to get to the end of my story because people are losing their, their focus. And that ends up then I end up waffling. I don't get to my points. Yeah. And I don't, I don't focus on landing the plane. I just crash the plane because <laughs> I'm desperately trying to get to the ground, right? <laughs> Instead of taking a nice solid yeah. kind of landing to make sure the ending is, is actually smooth and makes sense. And so instead, I just go straight down like no matter what and just get it all done with because I'm desperately trying to get the words yeah. out. And unfortunately, that doesn't come across as confident, mm. right? The most confident people are able to speak slowly. They're able to speak softly because they trust that their story and their words are good enough for people to actually listen yep. to you. People that are loudest and that speak the fastest, even though they might seem confident on a superficial level, in essence, they are speaking loud and fast and abrasively because they're actually insecure about what they're saying. Yeah. And that is something that's really stood out for me that came from this, this workshop is that if I want to come across as confident, if I want to get my stories out and have the impact that I want to have, I have to slow down. I have to not worry as much about the reactions I'm getting around the room and just focus on getting the words out yeah. and getting that story out on the table. And it's something that we, and I need to work on and you need to work yeah. on and we all need to work on, I think, yeah. because it's, it's a skill that if you don't think about it in the moment, it, nothing's ever going to change. And the other key thing that I took away from it, Barry, which I think is worth just quickly mentioning, is basically a little experiment that they did in a live course scenario where essentially they had a whole bunch of people go up and say their little speech. Uh, obviously, a lot of this is ad-libbing, so they'll give you like a cue card and all of a sudden you need to incorporate this into the story or whatever it is that you're talking. These games look pretty fun. Um, but the most interesting thing that I took from that is that when you ask the person who, who was speaking how they thought it came across, and I'm sure you'll be able to relate to a lot of this, <laughs> especially me when I'm talking about even last week's episode with Mitch. Now, obviously, I was fangirling, which uh, is very obvious because I'm <laughs> such a fan of him. Um, but basically, while I was talking, I was kind of knocking myself up about how many mistakes I was making. And if you asked me at the end of the episode, I'd say, I said to you specifically, Barry, I did so badly like, thank you for rescuing it. I did so badly. Whereas <laughs> when I'm in the edit room, it actually flows. And in the experiment that they did, when you ask those people afterwards and you ask the audience uh, how it came across, like 90% of the people said it didn't come across the way that, that the speaker thought it did. And so basically the key meaning here is like, don't be so hard on yourself while you're speaking. 
it might not seem to you like you are confident or you're getting your uh, message across well, but in truth, it sometimes can't always come across the other way. So end strong, uh, have confidence in what it is that you're portraying, and ultimately it will be interpreted positively on the other side. Definitely. A lot of this is body language, Mm. right? People don't, they don't notice the mistakes. They don't notice the words you've mumbled over unless they can see you noticing it. If you mumble over your words, you start to get flustered and you start to go faster and you start to try and cover up that mistake that you think everyone is now judging you for, that's when they notice it. So if you're able to just kind of roll with those punches and realize that in this world of conversation, not everything is going to come out perfectly. But what matters is the takeaway right at the end. What is the, what is the, 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 the preference? What is the illusion you're trying to create? What is the transformation you want to make with whatever you're saying? And that's all that matters. Nothing else matters. And so the less we can worry about that stuff, the clearer it's going to come out and the less you're going to judge yourself. I'm in the same boat, Chad. We've often had podcast episodes we think are, are not that great. Mm. And then we watch the final product. We realize okay, it actually came out really good. And so why are we judging ourselves so harshly in the moment? Let's focus more so on getting a few of the smaller things right, working on the process, trying to improve our skills. But let's not isolate every single mistake we've ever made, every like, every um, every Mm. kind of mumble that we make, because that doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it's the message you're trying to to get across and the ending like you say how do you leave a conversation and if you leave it on a strong confident note if you land that plane without any turbulence (laughs) you're going to be just fine i love it and i I don't care that we've said it five or ten times because that analogy is just so good Uh, just (laughs) land the plane it's just so effective to think about okay barry i'm a little bit conscious of time uh, because we have this kind of informal one hour uh, limit or we, we try to keep to that uh, at the end of the day because it, best, it, yeah. it makes it a lot more sustainable as well uh, in terms of the edit and of course for you listening uh, we know already an hour a week is a lot of Barry and Chad to listen to but <laughs> there's something really important to talk about and that is this book that I finished uh, this past week which I have a prop Barry uh, and that is one called oh. Digital Minimalism by someone that I think you're a big fan of a guy by the name of Cull Newport. Chad, I feel like a proud father at this point. Uh, it's so cool to see. It's one of your goals to read more books. And yep. the fact that you got through this one is awesome. And it is such a good book to talk about because it is so relevant in today's world. Like you say, the author is a guy by the name of Cull Newport. He is this fascinating thinker and writer that I've been following for years. And his major claim to fame is that he's this computer science professor in the US, very tech savvy, very on top of tech. He has never had a social media account, Chad. He is one of the few humans on this earth that have not been captured by the Facebooks and the Snapchats and the TikToks and all of these ginormous phenomenons that these companies have become. And he speaks out a lot against this digital addiction that so many of us have to our smartphones and to the social media landscape that we all live in on a day-to-day basis. And this book is a very thoughtful, very interesting, very action-orientated book to try and help all of us rethink our our influences, rethink the way that we interact with these technologies and are they actually helping us? And so Chad, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, while I was reading it, I just jotted some notes down, some little concepts that I like to discuss as well. And like you said, when I found out that he hadn't ever used social media, it was quite a crazy thought because Looking afterwards, he's a pretty young guy. Yes, he's a professor and he works in tech and all that kind of stuff, but he's a pretty young guy. So to hear his his choice to never engage in these services was really interesting. And what came across for me really interesting as well is the reason. And that is that whenever you ask anyone who's dead set on one of these platforms why they use them, the the reasons they give are just not that compelling. Uh, The reasons are sometimes something like, well, you don't know what you might miss out on. Well, you never know what you might find <laughs> useful. And that's just not good enough. Ultimately, you need to have value from these services. So I want to start this discussion off, Barry, by a quote which is in the last chapter, the conclusion, and then kind of work our way through some of the concepts that I found fascinating. And I'm going to read it verbatim uh, as we do fairly often on Across the Pond because how else <laughs> do you get a, a quote across uh, correctly? And that is... 
Digital minimalists see new technologies as tools to be used to support things they deeply value, not as sources of value themselves. They don't accept the idea that offering some small benefit is a justification for allowing an attention-gobbling service into their lives, and are instead interested in applying new technology in highly selective and intentional ways that yield big wins. And that wraps up so nicely what this book was for me. The fact that these services have created this addiction, this true addiction, where we are constantly tapping on our screen, uh, we are rolling the slot machine way of kind of pulling down and seeing what we've got. Has someone sent us a message? Is there something new to consume? There's so many interesting ideas in this book, but that quote as a starting point is a, a great place, I think, to start the discussion. Definitely. And and the key thing about that quote is that he's not saying that these things are evil. He's not saying no. that these things are, are going to ruin your life necessarily. It's saying, he, what, what he's saying is that the way that you use these tools is everything. Mm. You have to be honest with yourself. You have to be self-aware about the reasons that you're using these things. Social media can be such a cool thing. It can be such an amazing way to connect with people, to find things you're interested about, to really find like-minded communities to join and, and, and really enrich your life. But unfortunately, all of the costs that come with this addiction mentality and the amount of time we waste we just don't talk about that enough yeah. because we kind of don't think about it we, we are so habituated to be able to pick up that phone hundreds of times a day thousands of times mm -hmm. a day in some cases and we, we just go through that without realizing the cost that we're actually paying and so what this book tries to do and what that quote encapsulates is that we have to understand the costs of this technology and figure out for ourselves where does the benefit outweigh the cost we cannot ignore them and just think that oh cool because my friends are on the service and because it seems to be the place to be therefore I have to be on it it's kind of pushing against that peer pressure mentality and thinking more intentionally about why the hell do you need these things and once you start to be honest about that Chad it puts everything else into perspective and that's what this book does really well yeah completely and what it talks to quite profoundly I think is the evolution of communication and it talks about us as human social creatures needing quality information it talks about how many like thousands of cues we pick up from like you say body language uh tonality and voices all of that kind of stuff uh in these you know in-person interactions and the fact that replacing that with a like or even a little comment it just doesn't fulfill that need and as much as you might think at face value that yeah i've had a decent social week because i've liked 3,000 posts and I've left so many comments and people have been engaging with me. Ultimately, nothing can replace meaningful human conversation. And the thing is, phone calls are fine. Zoom calls are fine. You're still going to pick up on... It's not, they're obviously not as, as good as the real thing. Uh, but, but that is high quality interaction, social interaction, where these low level likes and, you know, comments and all of that kind of stuff just don't hit the spot. Um, and another quote that I want to mention, Barry, that I think uh, encapsulates this pretty well as well, um, is also how we're not able to have conversations anymore because we are constantly, you'll, you'll find you'll be in a group with people uh, where you we have the opportunity for some great discussion and somebody is on their phone scrolling mindlessly or replying to a message or whatever the case is. Um, yeah. And that has also been quite a profound change uh, from, you know, from these uh, technologies. So this quote I want to mention is one by Lawrence Scott, which is in the book as well. Uh, and it's quite a it's quite a big statement. And for me, immediately, it was one of those moments, Barry, where you where you say it feels like the writer is talking to you directly, uh, which is yeah. a moment can feel strangely flat if it exists solely in itself. And it's so right. We cannot just enjoy something in the moment we have to take the phone out we have to share it we have to get some sort of social approval for it and that's that's worrying it really is chad it, it speaks to my experience when i went to the kruger park a, a little while ago and we, we spent two full days in that park seeing some of the most amazing sightings but it almost felt like my enjoyments of that experience depended on the photos that I was going to get, right? Because I wanted to show those photos off. And sure, I got some really amazing photos that I really will cherish, and those were amazing. But there was so much of that holiday that I was watching through my screen. 
And it's something that I know about. It's something that I know I want to fight against. But that pressure mm. and that kind of feeling of wanting to share that memory or kind of remember that moment is so huge that we lose ourselves. We, we're not present in the actual yeah. experience. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think for all of us, when we travel, when we do something cool, we desperately want to capture that for some, for some reason. And we are not willing to just sit in that moment and just be a human being and just kind of enjoy that presence, yeah. right? Yeah. And that is, that is a loss. It, it really does degrade the experience experience whether you like it or not it's that canonical example of going to that rock concert that you pay all that money to see <laughs> yeah. and trying to take these videos of these songs that you want to share with who knows who um and these these videos are terrible no one wants to watch them because it, it just defeats the point the whole point of being in that concert is losing yourself in that moment and i think it's something we need to think very carefully about chad because it's really degrading the human experience it certainly is and to be honest i mean as a person who loves photography and loves film and all that kind of stuff i don't think the total like devil in this situation is us actually taking that photo i think what it is and i think what robs me of many moments is wanting to post it right now like while something is happening it must go out right now and the truth is it's a complete fallacy who cares when is it going to go out uh, no one <laughs> no one needs to know what i'm up to every second of every single day uh, i've been on you know holidays overseas where i've been spending quality time with friends and in the moment need to be editing a photo, posting it like right away where I'm actually robbing myself of that great interaction. Uh, and that's worrying. But I agree with you, Barry, uh, the ability to also take in a moment without having to capture it uh, and to be able to explain that moment later on with just your words, with just your words. That was amazing. <laughs> there was a cheetah that jumped into the road and whatever the case is. Uh, you know, people are not going to take credibility from you because you don't have a photo to share it. Um, but but yes, I completely agree. So one of the things he speaks about is doing this 30-day digital declutter. And straight away, I was like, yes, that's Barry. That's Barry's uh, December <laughs> every single year. And I, I guess it came from this book. It did, Chad. I did this declutter the moment I finished this reading this book, which was I think two years ago when it when it first came out, um, and it really was a life changing experience for me because it reminded me of, or it didn't remind me, it showed me the addiction that I didn't realize that I had. Because in the first few days of this declutter, I had real withdrawal <laughs> symptoms that I did not expect to have. I was reaching into my pocket yeah. for the phone that wasn't there. I was feeling phantom vibrations. I was mm. I was desperately looking for this dopamine hit that I'd kind of been habituated to to need. And so that's what the declutter did for me. And like you say, I've ca carried that on throughout each December since then. And it's been such a great reset for me. So whether you think you're addicted or not, I think it's still worth doing because it is such a good reminder to ourselves what life can be like without these things. Mm -hmm. Because once you push through the first few days, which is the difficult part, it opens up so many new opportunities for connection, for time with yourself, for reading, for all sorts of these cool activities that you didn't realize you were missing out on because you were scrolling Twitter all day, for example. Yeah, and it's these kind of analog activities. It's these high-quality leisure activities, which uh, a lot of us don't have anymore. A lot of us, uh, I mean, there's yeah. this one idea in the book, which I think is so true, is you'll be at work or something and be really busy and you'll be thinking about this the weekend, a time that you can have all of this time, all of this free time to do everything you want. And what, what actually ends up happening, Barry? You spend half of the time binge-watching series, scrolling mindlessly through uh, Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is. And ultimately, you're losing out. You're losing out on so much uh, joy that you could be getting from meaningful things even like painting or uh, you know playing an instrument or reading or like you say there's so many great examples of things that you can do um, it's just this mindless scrolling that we've become so accustomed to and it also speaks to this need for solitude which I picked as, as a key and I think that's one of the things in this book that'll really stick with me is this idea of how they've how they've defined solitude is a state in which your mind is free from input from other minds. So that means you go out on a walk, you don't take earphones, you don't listen to podcasts, you don't <laughs> listen to, you know, music, uh, nothing like that. It's ultimately letting yourself be with yourself. And it's something that I don't think we, we let ourselves do enough. I mean, there's some great examples of uh, ex-presidents and, you know, all these other wonderful thinkers of the past that Cull brings into this book. And how that the solitude, the ability to 
uh, escape or, or be with yourself in a quiet room and not have all of these e- extra minds affecting yours all the time is really what lets you uh, come up with ideas. It lets you explore creativity in completely new ways. Um, and for me, that is something that I'm going to certainly be incorporating after I do remove all of these uh, very low, kind of low level interactions on social media. It's so obvious when you say it, but for some reason, <laughs> it took this book for me to realize that, Chad, yeah. because like you say, we all want to be more creative. A lot of us complain, I don't have any good ideas. Like, for example, for YouTube videos or blogs or whatever, anything you're trying to create yeah. or anything you're trying to do at work, often we feel like we don't have original ideas, but we never give ourselves a chance to come up with any because yeah. we are filling our heads with the ideas of other people yeah. every second of every day. And so that solitude thing is absolutely huge. If you want to dig deeper into that topic, there's a great book called Stillness is the Key by Ryan Holiday, which is a whole book just on solitude Mm. and just on sitting with your own thoughts. Um, For a lot of people, it's a terrifying thing to do because all of a sudden it pulls out demons, it pulls out all those insecurities, it pulls out all the worries. So it can be scary for people, but it's such an important part of personal growth because unless you do that, all you're going to be your whole life is a parrot or a puppet for someone else's ideas. And we don't want to be that. We want to be able to think for ourselves. We want to be able to really ruminate on some of the things that matter to us. And there's such cool things that can come out of that if we're able to leave the podcasts at home, leave the Instagram at home and spend that time with ourselves. It really is a powerful, powerful thing. Absolutely. What a great book. Highly recommend it. Digital Minimalism by Cull Newport. Um, And just also just to wrap up this discussion uh, is just talking about our computers and uh, like you say, not demonizing them in their entirety. Uh, They've become these general purpose devices. So they're able to do all sorts of things. Uh, We we don't necessarily need a, a new computer for every different task, which is wonderful. Uh, But that doesn't mean that they need to do all those things at the same time. Use your computer as a, you know, editing workstation at one period of time. Use it as a messaging platform at another moment in time. It's this multitasking illusion that we we keep talking about, Barry. Um, It's these, you know, this is what grabs our attention is a notification popping up and, and suddenly you're in this rabbit hole that, that just steals all of the other amazing things you could be doing with it. Um, so yeah, great book. Highly recommend it. Um, I mean, does that wrap up the thoughts or do you have anything else to add? <laughs> I, I think it wraps up a lot of it, chat. I just want to make one yeah. last point on, on that is that this, this general purpose computing thing is such an important thing. The number one thing to do to improve your productivity and live a better life is just to do one yep. thing at a time. Yep. We, we waste so much of our mental efforts, our creativity, our thought processes on changing between tasks because we think we can multitask where we really can't, right? If you're able to take one thing away from the whole productivity genre of self-help, yeah. it's that just do one thing at a time. When you're sitting to write a report, block out everything else and just work on that report. But in the same way, when you're sitting down to watch your favorite TV show, Block out everything as well and just focus on that TV show. There's no need to be sitting there and have three other screens on your lap which you're doing other stuff at the same time because it cheapens every experience. Mm -hmm. The more you can do one thing at a time and not delude yourself to think that you can manage everything at once, the better life you're going to have, the more you're going to be able to get done. And even though it's counterintuitive, it's so, so powerful when you get it right. Absolutely. What a great way to end uh, yet another jam-packed episode of Across the Pond. I must be honest, I'm really... Did we land the plane, Chad? I think we landed did, the plane. Did we land the plane on this one? <laughs> I think we landed the plane. Uh, we've now both become digital minimalists. Um, I, I must be honest, I'm really... I know we've, we've been speaking about it, but I'm really excited to uh, to make some changes. I've already started making some changes on the back of this book. Uh, awesome. And yeah, feeling like that freeing feeling uh, that, that comes with less less is more and and that's you know that's what it's about ultimately at the end of the day so thanks for tuning in barry thanks for joining even though it's so late 
Um, and I guess I guess we'll be back soon, right? Hopefully, Chad. <laughs> hopefully next week, as, as as per usual, we haven't missed a week yet. So without a doubt, we'll be back with another episode next week. But thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the topics today. We hope that you found we're speaking slower and more clearer than usual. And hopefully that gets better over time. But as always, if you've got any thoughts, suggestions, questions, ideas, guests, yes. please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Um, this show is for you as much as it is for us. And so thank you for listening once again. Pond across the pond.